Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. And we are smack in the middle of our summer emergency episode miniseries, taking a look at the new Netflix Babysitter's Club series, taking a break from our week by week or episode by episode. Um, I do that every time. <laughs> episode by episode um, recap of the Babysitter's Club books. Now we're going episode by episode to recap the show. So what episode are we talking about this week, Miss Kate? We are talking about The Truth About Stacy, which is also the third book in the series, as you might remember, back from months and months ago that we discussed. This is the book where um, Stacy reveals to the rest of the club that she is diabetic. Um, it's slightly differently handled here in this episode in that Stacy's um, diabetes is revealed to all of Stony Brook via a social media post from the babysitter's agency as revenge for telling Mrs. Newton about uh, Lacey Lewis's poor babysitting skills and letting Jamie play in the street while she's inside with her boyfriend. Um, it, it sort of comes down generally overall as the same. The girls find out and are sort of like, you're good. Like, we're here for you. We, we got your back. Um, it, it's sort of a interesting. I know when we talked about the book, um, we focused a lot on Stacy's maturity and Stacy gaining agency with her parents over her disease and treatment and how she's going to proceed going forward. Um, whereas in the episode, it sort of deals with maturity of all of the girls as a whole. And um, I guess sort of also the same as in the book, the, the maturity of our girls versus the maturity of the babysitter's agency, babysitting club. Um, it, it's like, like we've said in the last couple episodes talking about the show, the the ideas are generally the same, but the plot maybe gets a little bit shaken up. Oh, I was going to say, I actually thought that this one was closest to the plot um, being the same as we've come so far um, in terms of like the major storylines being roughly the same major storylines. Now, like the how they handled Stacy's diabetes is slightly different. But in terms of like what they were focusing on, I think I thought that this one came the closest for me. Um don't necessarily know that I agree with that because the main thing that in the book that was focused on was um, Stacy's parents being hypervigilant and trying to find a miracle cure. And while, yes, they're obviously very concerned about Stacy and sort of wanting to protect her and maybe coddle her a little too much, um, I think that the fact that we don't get any of those sort of crazy quack doctor visits and Stacy having to exert her her power to, you know, take agency for herself isn't necessarily as much of a storyline, which I think was sort of the main driving focus of the book version of The Truth About Stacey. That's fair. I guess they sort of switched the A plot and the B plot um, in terms yeah. of importance. I, I thought that the um, choice not to take, have her parents be taking her to a bunch of quack doctors and not be, and like fighting the, the diabetes diagnosis made a lot of sense because while in the 80s, maybe that or the late 80s, it made sense that they would have, you know, been not as versed with it. Mm -hmm. I thought that they did a really good job of acknowledging, yeah, you're not the first person to have diabetes, Stacey, they right. literally <laughs> say when she tells the girls. Yeah. And Halle the Berry not... has diabetes. Yeah, right? Um, oh, God, I love Marianne. And it was less about her coming to terms with having, um, with how to manage the disease for herself and for her parents and more about how to, to manage it her life while having the disease, um, which is, is a subtle difference in terms of like the focus on what maturity is, uh, like you were saying, but I think it makes a big difference 
that it she's not struggling with accepting the diabetes for herself. She's struggling with how does that affect how she fits into the rest of the world. Right. Um, More how other people will see her as opposed to how she sees herself. Exactly. And like her parents' um, denial is not about denial of the disease, but and it's, it's not denial in this case at all. It's concern. And she's reading it as shame that they mm-hmm. that her mom is ashamed because um, her mom is trying to help her hide her pump in multiple places and Stacy is reading that as um, she's she's embarrassed about it right. I should be embarrassed about my diabetes when really at the in their Danny Tanner moment at the end of the episode as Kate mentioned um, the the real issue is that the babysitter's agency releases a video of, of Stacy having a, a reaction before she's diagnosed and everyone's reaction to that. And, um, like, the parents being, I, I think, pretty rightfully, like, ooh, is this a person we want babysitting our kids? Like, I mm-hmm. don't think that that was um, wrong and, and terrible for, for people to be to be having that, that perspective. Um, and I just thought that they handled that really, really nicely um, while allowing her to say, it, it's not about being ashamed. It's about wanting to protect you from having something like that happen again, from having parents who don't know you assume the worst and judge you based on literally the worst thing. Like she she calls it the worst day of her life. Well, and, and, that- and I was going to say, it's it's not just that it was sent around to the parents of Stony Brook and potentially making her not be able to babysit for their kids anymore. I mean, Stacey tells the girls that that video was taken at her school and sent around to her everyone at her school. She references that Lane, her best friend in New York, who we will come to meet later in the series, we don't actually see her in this episode like we do in the book, but that Lane sent it around. So the, and that's why her parents moved to Stony Brook was because she was, you know, sort of ostracized at school because people were sending this video around and that became who she was. And so it's I think that sort of helps inform why her mom is acting the way that she is because like Mm -hmm. you said she's trying to sort of protect her from everyone else reacting to her but because she doesn't explain why she's so concerned about stacy not you know wearing her pump on her belt all bedazzled is because she wants to protect her and so stacy sees it like you said as her mom's ashamed of her and embarrassed and doesn't want anyone to know um which sort of goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode and that a lot of the issues, and this is sort of real in the whole, for us and everyone probably listening, like the the major issues in a lot of quote unquote normal parent-child relationships is communication. You know, if people were able to discuss things more openly and in a more forthright way, a lot of the sort of issues, and I use issues very lightly, like a lot of the issues in this show are not issues with a capital I, but a lot of the issues that we see would be less of a concern. You know, if Stacy knew why her mom was acting the way she was, she wouldn't be internalizing that shame and not wanting to tell her sister or not her sisters, not wanting to tell the rest of the babysitters club that she's diabetic and explaining that that's why she hasn't invited them over to her house because she didn't want, she didn't want to have to explain that. So I just think that that it's interesting that it all really does come back to communication. I think I think you're exactly right, and I, I think that as much as um, in last week's episode, I was sort of dogging on the Kishis for not being uh, making some not making the best parenting choices. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way. Um, focus on the behavior, not at the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this case, I'd say that the um, McGill's got a huge upgrade mm-hmm. in terms of their parenting from the books. Like her dad, when he comes in, in such a dad moment at the end, when she in her big moment of. Um, 
claiming autonomy for herself. She bedazzles her insulin pump, like like Kate mentioned. And her dad's like, I think it's cool. I think you should bedazzle my phone for me. And I'm like, oh, that is such a dad moment. It is so sweet that, like, he feels awkward. He doesn't know exactly the right thing to say. So he wants to show his support by doing something. And it mm-hmm. was just, I, I thought that was precious. And, and, and that was... I think far more than we've ever gotten from, I can't think of one thing Mr. McGill has done in the course of the books. That's what I was just going to say. Mr. McGill is such a non-entity in the books and seeing him here in this one episode and he's in like two scenes, he's much more present. He has much more of a character. You know, you can tell, like he said, he's, he's got the sort of like cheesy dad jokes mentality with Stacy and, you know, with Mrs. McGill. And so it's just kind of fun to actually see him as a person and not, you know, just Stacy's dad who happens to be around that we know nothing about. I think that we're seeing more and more of that as we go. And, and, it, and it makes sense, again, like we talked about last time with um, Claudia's kitchen being porn for us 30-year-old ladies. I think it makes sense that they're fleshing out the parents as well because they are acknowledging that, you know, the millennials and zennials and Xers and beyond who grew up with these books um, are the same age or around the same age as, as a lot of these parents. So it's natural that we start to identify with them more. So it becomes, um, it's a really smart move to make them more human and, and, and more well-rounded and more involved. Like I noted when Christy and Liz, Edie, are um, sort of fighting about Watson again, you know, it's a reoccurring theme throughout. Um and they're referring to her ring. Edie, Liz, I'm just going to use that interchangeably from now on, um, got this gorgeous, enormous new ring. And, well, gorgeous. Uh, it's, Your mileage it's may vary. Sh- I don't it's like a heart shaped diamond. I, mean, I don't like it. I thought, oh, I thought it was pear. I, either way, I didn't like it. She got a big it's old It's not our style. Um, if you love it. Exactly. We're not going to yuck anyone's yum. Sorry for, exactly. <laughs> sorry it's for just saying not it's either, <laughs> It's just not either one of our. I, I, it always makes me think of that um, episode of Sex in the City where. Mm-hmm. Carrie shitting all over the ring that, that Charlotte was like, that's perfect. Anyway, um, so when they're having that discussion, Christy is in her down with the patriarchy mode and, and is calling out Liz for, you know, being, why does she need a, a sign of this devotion? And I loved, I, I it's not a sign of devotion. That, it's a sign that she's sign of taken like property, property. <laughs> property. Yes. That's what, that's what I meant. Sorry. Not devotion. Um, a sign of property. And then she talks about, uh, Liz says, well, yes, we want you to call me of Watson now, which was a a really good joke to begin with. But it was such a great moment because I went, oh, that's where Christy gets it from. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't really see that in the book. You don't. Christy is so all the girls are so fully formed as their own personalities. But we tend to forget that those personalities come from somewhere. Right. And in this, we get to see that it's coming from Liz. It's coming from Edie, whatever you want to call her. It's coming from Alicia. Mm -hmm. Um that that badass, um, sharp wit, funny, um, kind of prickly, uh, um, you know, like she's allowed to roll her eyes at Christy and make fun of Christy. And I, and I just, I think that's really lovely. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the people who are making this show are of our generation and they grew up with these books. They clearly love them as much as we do. And so I think it's really a testament to them that they see the potential and the opportunity to make everyone in the series a fully formed character and see those connections as to you know why our girls are the way they are because we get to really know who their parents are and it you know they as adults now making this version of the babysitters club had the opportunity to 
make that a thing and fully flesh them those characters out and because they as adults now still loving these books recognize that the parents are also people and they want to make them people in this the show and they know that us as viewers that also grew up with the, the series want to see them as fully formed people now too and i think it's it's really fun to see those connections especially as we get later in this first season of the show yes, we get more time say. with each of the characters and each of the characters parents and we get to see the parents interact with each other without the kids around. It just, it really makes it a, a full universe and not just a children's book series. So it, it's great. 100%. And I think that they did a really good job too of um, like putting more of a, making the parents more fleshed out, but not overemphasizing them. Mm-hmm. Like, especially because it is at the end of the day intended to be a children's show, I think. Like, I, I think it's really funny. I, I was thinking about it as I was watching this episode that there was such a fine needle to thread on the tone for this where mm-hmm. um, it's obviously not a teen show. Like I was making some comparisons to Riverdale and Christie's great idea. And um, I realized that later I was like, but it's not a Riverdale. It's not trying to be a Riverdale. Right. I, but it's also not trying to be a kid's show in a way that I, a lot of the Disney shows are. It's not that broad, that wah, 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 that there's nothing wrong with. I enjoy a lot of that. Like I love me some old school Hannah Montana, you know, like, Disney Channel wackiness, mm-hmm. but that's not what this is either. Um, and, and it was uh, such a tightrope of a tone to find where it does satisfy the 35 and ups or, you know, 30 somethings and up, whatever, pick your age range. Um, and also engages the girls and not, uh, and boys and non binary children watching now um, and not getting them bored with like, you know too much focus on the adults. So I, th- right. I, I thought that they did that beautifully. Yep. It's, it's just the right amount. It's let's like cilantro. Yep. It's not too much unless exactly. you hate cilantro, in which case this analogy means Sorry. nothing to you, but <laughs> it's, yeah, you can't too much cilantro is too much, but cilantro makes most things better. If you like cilantro, uh, you know, you've got yes. that asterisk there. I understand that it tastes like soap for some people, but here, here the parents don't taste like soap to anyone. Because the parents don't taste like soap to anyone. I think that, that that's a t-shirt somewhere. That does seem like a t-shirt. <laughs> so let's talk about the babysitter's agency. Um, I first of all want to start off by saying, right off the bat, agency is such a better name than club. <laughs> well, and it really touches on the fact that like Sam, Christie's brother, comes yep. in and he's like, oh yeah, the babysitter's agency, that's a great idea. And Christie's like, that's our idea. That's that's what the club is. And he's like, and she's like, what do you think we do? And he's like, I don't know. I thought you like sat around and talked about babies, which like, and that was, that yeah. was not the first time somebody had said that they were like, uh, your care, well, um, Janine referred to it as a caregiving circle. Right. And like, there was another comment about like, oh, it's a club. What are you doing? Are you just talking about babysitting? Like, oh, that was Watson. Yeah. When Watson was like, asking in the first it was a, episode. It's a business. So yeah. Cause club really does indicate that it sounds like, like a book club. It's right. not you going out to sell books. It's you talking about hanging them. out and talking about um, books. Exactly. So I agency immediately, it, it just tells you it's such a perfect indicator of, um, again, small character things. I, I know it's the same in the books too, but I'm, so it's praise for both, but just lets you know that these girls are on a higher level, that, that they are taking things seriously in a different way. Um, and I think that the choice to age them up and make mm-hmm. them even more serious is really, really smart. Um, uh, because the the real difference between a seventh grader and eighth grader is who cares, but, but high school kids, kids who can drive, that is 
Yeah. And and kids who are savvy enough to put together the marketing that they did. And uh, it just makes a lot more sense um, in the show rather than in the book. Yeah. It definitely – it comes across very much like – like we said, Lacey gets one of the flyers in Christy's great idea. And you can see, like watching it again, you can see her see what they, she has just been handed. And she gets the idea like, I can do this better because I have more experience in some kind of job. You know, I, I know people that would do this with me. I know the social media because the episode starts with effectively, essentially a commercial for the babysitter's agency, which is clearly on social media because we then see our girls watching it. And then later in the episode, you see um, them going to give flyers to this outdoor yoga class and all the parents leaving this yoga class have babysitter's club agency tote bags and water bottles. And so there's, our girls thought about it essentially like a club that also is a business, whereas Lacey approached it as a business. Like, I, these I didn't come here to make friends. Like I want to make money. So Stacy is babysitting Charlotte and goes to the park, and they she confronts Lacey there, which is kind of interesting because in the book, Charlotte just gets a balloon and they walk away. There's no real confrontation, but here Stacy, you know, basically calls her out and says, "You stole our idea." And Lacey, I like I, I took a few notes on various things that she said in this conversation. Um, ideas aren't intellectual property. Welcome to the free market. You should really try supporting women. When one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. Unless I put you out of business. May the best babysitter win. Like, like it's okay. Like, it, all of those things are true. But also, she, she says like it in cliche. such... She, but, and, like, her tone of voice and, like, she's got these, like, tiny little sunglasses on and a beret and a crop top. And, like, all of those things are fine. But, like, when you put it together with her attitude and the way that she's talking down to Stacey... It all just, like, combines for, like, the worst kind of, like, person you see on Instagram. <laughs> you know what? I was actually thinking – I was I had been talking about the Disney, how it's not like a Disney show earlier. The reason I was thinking about that is because Lacey Lewis feels like a Disney Channel show mean girl. Like, yeah. she doesn't feel um, organic and real and lived in the way that the rest of the show does. Like, even their, their showdown scene, like – she feels really unnatural on the couch and I, I like don't want to I feel bad I feel like I'm criticizing a child actress um but, I, but it just felt like why wouldn't she get up off the couch that felt strange to me and then the whole thing with the as funny as it was her like the boy that was with her was attempting to rap very poorly <laughs> it was so to bad. the point where where, where I, I literally wrote down oh god no make it stop and then Mary Ann's, that doesn't even rhyme, sir, um, was just such a perfect cap to that. But anyway, like that whole thing felt like it was plopped in from another show. Like that felt, um, I, I don't know. It just didn't feel real to me. The The reactions didn't feel real from the girls, the, like the club girls felt mm -hmm. real. Um, it, it just didn't, it felt like she was some weird holdover from a different show. Yeah, it. I mean, it definitely. She came across, and I don't know that it, you. It, it doesn't feel like you're actually criticizing the actress. It really feels like we're criticizing the way she was written because I don't know that there's a way you can take all of the things that Lacey says and does in this episode and make her a more well-rounded character. Like she's really only given these sort of like one-liner attitude kind of lines, and so it's harder to, you know, have her have a, a dialogue with our girls it's it's more like she's the villain and she's painted very 
broadly as the villain, as opposed to, hey, I'm this high school girl. I'm going to take this idea and run with it. It's like, I'm going to put this other club out of business because I need to show that I'm the best. And it's like, okay. Right? Like, you don't get to say, you know, support women. I'm also going to screw you. Like, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. And I think that that was intentional, but Mm -hmm. it did sort of muddy the message a little bit, especially for young girls. Like, I can see them being like, so wait, what am I supposed to take from that? Right. Um, And I think, like, we often talk about that there's um, a better version of this hidden in there somewhere. And I think... So because they age them up to high school, it also doesn't make sense that she's going that hard after a seventh grader. If you are, right. if you can drive, she's at least 16. I don't know many 16-year-olds that were that, like, punching down to 13-year-olds in that way. 12-year-olds, really. Right. They're seventh grade still at this point. Um, so that felt really, like, strange. I think it would have made more sense when you age it up if you made them um, – less like they can still be bad babysitters because mm-hmm. they're less interested in in the the kids like i think that that point remains the same but i think it would be more interesting if they were just uninterested in the club they're like oh no we took your idea but we can do it better and like in this they're actively messing with it like sending right. marianne to go babysit with an old man um like prank calling the club like that felt so unrealistic and beneath it felt more realistic if when they were still in the book in eighth grade. Right. Um, but it like for 16, 17 year old kids, like, come on. That, right. that does Why not would you feel... even be bothering with that piece of it? But I think that they're also, I think, especially since they've written Christy so much savvier, um, just the way that, you know, modern kids are for better or for worse, savvier than we were at that age. The world is a different place. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit of a missed opportunity with the, um, resolution of this to not have Christy learn something and be mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe we should find some good 16 year olds who actually want to babysit because we know they do exist. You're talking to two of them right now. <laughs> right. Um, you know, at that age, um, you know, and, and say, oh, this is a hole in our market. Um, let's find a way to fill it. And I don't think that there's, n- that's unprecedented. Like that's what the associate members essentially um are a similar function. Well, and they, she even has that idea in the book, you know, they, they do try to get some of those older club members. So it it is kind of interesting that they didn't include that here. Cause I do think, like you said, that would really be a good lesson for, or a good, you know, next step for Christy to, to come to realize that she needs to try to take. But I also then, so I, I sort of walked it back for myself when I, when I took in the end meeting at the, um, at the end of the episode, and I realized, you know what? There's probably plenty of room in Stony Brook for both. Mm-hmm. Um, from what we've seen of the town, it seems bigger than the books do. And what the club was really worried about was losing their core members. They don't have the capacity or ability to be a large-scale agency the way that the the, the BSA can and appears to. Mm-hmm. So I think their victory was like, we gathered the families that we already babysit for, the people that we're close to, the people that are around us, that we know. But like, they didn't like put out a a flyer to to talk about the town hall meeting or like combat it with their own social media message. So there's still you know a good chunk of the town who probably has never heard of the Babysitters Club or only knows this video. So right. um, I thought that was I I I was like oh well, to me that justified it. It made sense. Mm-hmm. I was like oh because they're not trying to. Lacey's trying to make money. They're not the money is a bonus for them. The the club is actually to babysit right um so uh, that was a long-winded way of talking myself around that but i (laughs) i I think both things can be true right 
Yeah, well, and I think even at that meeting where where Stacy explains, you know, what's going on with her and her diabetes to the parents, like you said, of the the close families that they really know and care about and spend a lot of time babysitting, you know, one of the parents says, "We just needed someone who could stay later." And that's really sort of the the main drive here is like the babysitters agency probably could work in con- like in connection with the babysitters club like obviously unrelated but like they can both exist because yeah sometimes parents need a babysitter that can stay till midnight and a 12 year old might not be the person that can do that especially since we know that their parents all expect them to be home by 9:30 or 10 um so it it's it makes sense that that like you said that our girls would maybe learn that they just need to focus on their core business and the people that they know and love and the babysitters agency can kind of do their own thing. And Stacy even talks about it explicitly in this point when they're all like, we can't lose the club. Like for Christy, it's some of its ego, Mm -hmm. a a lot of its ego. I think that, you know, it was her idea and she can't lose it because she's so invested in her identity as president of this club. Um, Claudia likes the money for good art supplies. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. What does Marianne say? She, oh, that's the only reason her dad lets her leave the house. Right. And and Stacy's motivation is the club, the girls, the wanting to be a part of that that group. And I, I think that that is the difference, the big difference in the club versus the agency. Because now I'm talking myself back into thinking club <laughs> is a better name for what they're doing because it isn't just about the money. Well, and sort of jumping off from that, I mean, Stacy's feeling like the club has to survive because she has to have the club. That really goes more towards her insecurity about what she went through in New York City before she came to Stony Brook. I think in her mind, she needs the club to exist because these girls might not be friends with her, but not mm-hmm. for the club existing. Like, they're they're sort of held together because of the club, and she doesn't think that we're at a point now where these are my best friends and they're going to be my best friends regardless. Like she still is feeling like we have to have the club because the club is all the, the only reason that these girls like me. And I think that also is something that she comes to realize by the end is like, yeah, we have the club, but like, these are my best friends. These, these girls have my back. They, they care about me. Like when she reveals to them that she has diabetes, it's not like, Oh, who now we can get back to babysitting. It's like, yeah, you're, we're here for you. We got your back. Like we're, we don't, we hate that Lacey sent this video around. Like we want to be here for you. We were worried about you because we didn't know what this was, but now that we know, we know what we can do to support you. Like it's not a big deal. We love you. And I think that that's a really great message for people watching this is that, you know, your friends are your friends. You don't have to have necessarily a reason and your friends are going to have your back if you need support. And I really love that that was sort of what where she got to by the end. It's like, I'm going to be me, and I know that these girls are going to be there for me. Yeah, I thought that was really, really a beautiful um, addition to the, the resolution of mm-hmm. this that it that that didn't really come across in the books or wasn't really so much of a factor. I mean, they did a little bit when they talk about, you know, the BSC versus Lane, but it, the, the emphasis was far more on repairing Stacy and Lane's relationship as opposed to how this deepened her relationship with the club. Right. And I thought that was really, really lovely. Um, I, I also thought it was really fascinating um, that to this point, we've been talking about how sophisticated Stacy is. And I, at first I was taken aback because she does not come across as sophisticated in this episode at Mm-mm. all. Like she weirdly blurts out something in front of um, Charlie or Sam. 
Sam, where where have you been Sam, hiding I, him? And Christy's like right. high school, and then she's well, like, yeah, and she's like I, did I say that out outside out loud? Yeah, like she just didn't feel very like there were a couple of places where I was like, this is sophisticated, and then I realized, oh, because this is Stacy's perspective. Right. We're seeing these episode. This episode happened from her in her head, from her point of view, where of course. Marianne and Claudia and Christy find her so sophisticated from the outside when a lot of that is her just being quiet and um, secretive, basically. Right. And because dressing of... well and being from New York City. I mean, that's true. The, the yeah. thing that we've we've always sort of had as like, you know, when we were doing our, you know, senior superlatives for the girls, it was basically like, you know, Stacy is sophisticated. She's from New York. And it, it really does boil down to, like you said, she doesn't talk as much as the other girls and so she has this aura of mystery and because she's from new york city and she dresses well it's like well clearly she's sophisticated exactly and that's just i i can't wait to pay more attention to that as we as we go forward mm-hmm. that that we get to see those those voices continue to develop because i think we saw we see a little bit of that in the books like we talk about how in claudia's book or when claudia's the um narrator we have more of an emphasis on fashion and um you know just sort of a what the focus of each book is Mm -hmm. but i feel like this is um taking that even to the next level where you really get to see how the world is slightly different from each of their perspectives and i i think it's so so lovely and i'm just uh, i think that like overall i could just gush about this whole series for ages and ages um so in, in lieu of doing that, I will say one other thing that I really did like about this episode, too, is um, the handling of the Johansons. Yes. So they're that's a what I was going to say. We have to talk about the Johansons yep. before we move on. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. So they're a biracial couple with um, a, 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 another a race child. So they're triracial, I guess, as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're a blended racial family. We I don't want to presume to know anybody's... Right national origins because they don't specify but basically they're they're blended in that in racial aspects they're a lesbian couple and none of that is commented on at all not even a smidge there is no like huh that's strange and i thought that that was that representation was so lovely and my only concern about it is what does that do to jesse and her plot lines because if the whole thing with jesse is you know the black family moved into the neighborhood and, and not everybody was nice to them. Well, first of all, Marianne is biracial. Now we see this other um, example of a racially blended family within that community. So I, um, again, something to just keep to think about as moving forward. Um, definitely not a negative in terms of their representation at all just yeah well i a think question it raised i think one thing that is sort of interesting and we'll probably get into it more um in the next episode and probably the episode of after that when it comes to the the changes that they've made to marianne and dawn's um race the fact that there isn't as much of a commentary on it i on one hand i appreciate it but also mm-hmm. the fact that marianne is biracial being raised by a white man is that there's some Con, not concerns, but there are some sort of interesting Things conversations that could be had around mm-hmm. that. And I'm frankly a little bit disappointed that that's not where it goes at all. And maybe we'll get into that more in the second season because, like you pointed out, Jesse is, is sort of the driving factor of those storylines in the books. Um, and we're only introduced to her in the last two episodes um, when, you know, she's at camp with the rest of the girls and she and Mallory are best friends already. Um, but 
I, I just think that it's interesting that, especially, and again, we'll get into this more in the next episode, but since you raised it, I just wanted to touch on it. You know, Richard, when he's talking about why, why Marianne always wears her hair in braids is because that's the only way that um, her mom taught him to do her hair. It's not necessarily because she's half black and there are certain things that need to be done when you're dealing with, you know, black hair versus white hair. It's, it's just like, cause my dad only knew how to put my hair in braid, like in a braid. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. so it, it's not necessarily a specific that thing. A commentary about and I, I feel like, aspect. I feel like I'm, yeah. I, I, we'll get into it more, but I, I think that it's going to be interesting going forward in the ways that they do and don't touch on those sort of racial topics. Um, We'll yeah, see. I think, I, I think for me the difference is, if it's a main character, if we're following these people and their stories, then race should be a factor because it would be a factor for them. Right. But for a side characters like the Johansons, we don't need to have a whole conversation about right. how um, Stacy's like. What is this? There are two mommies. <laughs> oh, and they're right. all different colors, and like, like. Um, I, I think a lesser show would feel the need to um, maybe not have a whole Danny Tanner moment on it, but at least comment on, you know, their non-traditional family in scare quotes with rolling my eyes heavily. Right. Um, and and they don't feel the need to do that. They don't need to lampshade it. They don't. It's just treated so, so matter of factly. And I, I think that that's one of the things that I really appreciate. Um, again, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but a lot of the, the representational aspects um, that appear throughout the series here and later um, are done so very matter-of-factly and not after-school specially and not look at how different, you know, point and mm-hmm. marvel at. Uh, they don't expect a pat on the back for having that representation. It's ju- It just is. Right. And that is hugely refreshing, um, especially because there weren't um, – I mean, there were some stories about the, the um, trans plot line that we'll get to later, but that wasn't a major focus of, like – the um, marketing campaign in which, you know, sometimes looking at you, Disney, they'll be like, hey, check it out. Right. We have gay look, people in look this Look what one. we've done. Look, pat us on the back. Give us accolades and because we've done something that should just be normal. <laughs> exactly. And then and then it's, it does become disappointing because they they do make such a big deal out of it that when it is something like Star Wars, when it's just one character, a very, very minor side character getting a kiss when they come back, like you don't get a fucking cookie for that. <laughs> what what are you talking about? Right. Um, don't spend a whole marketing campaign about how you're including Star Wars is inclusive. Now that's not who we want to see kiss. Give us Finn and Poe. <laughs> you cowards. Anyway, sorry. That was a whole diversion. Um, but I, I think it's. I think that they do. Um, I, we are going to continue to have conversations about representation as as we go through, as we start to get a little bit more into that. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating that you mentioned that you were a little disappointed that they didn't go there much with Richard and Marianne, because I had that same reaction, and I I rationalized it with um, from a production standpoint. If you're if you get one shot at this show, I think you do. You like they did adapt roughly the, those first couple of books that. Almost everybody knows there's some there's real brand recognition, but you can give your pitch for how it's modern. And then I think season two is when we start to see them diverge from the books and start to really play in the world that they've created with this one. Um, now, I am not a TV producer. I have no idea. I have nothing to do with the production of this show. But if it were me, uh, that that makes sense to me. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, 
I feel like Netflix is a little bit more progressive when it comes to things like that. And I don't know that I, again, knowing nothing about the production, I, I feel like they didn't have to do nothing aside from add characters of different races. That's true. You're not, you're, you're absolutely not wrong. Um, uh, it's, I think that there's, it's such a complicated issue mm-hmm. that like, no matter what somebody does, nobody's going to be, not everybody's going to be satisfied. Right. hundred um, percent. And that's one of my favorite things about being able to have these conversations with you and dig into that and then hear from you guys listening. Like we've already had some really interesting conversations on our social media. If you're not checking out um, some of our posts, you're, you're missing some really interesting commentary from um, some people who have been listening and have maybe different reactions to mm-hmm. things that we are. Um, specifically, I do want to call out that, you know, someone uh, called us out for ignoring the fact that why couldn't Liz be the one to give business advice? to Christy. She's clearly a businesswoman. Why did that have to come from Watson? Is and that the patriarchal aspects of that? And that's really, I thought it was so fascinating because mm-hmm. I'm normally someone who is so hypersensitive to that and it didn't even cross my mind. Yep. I blame Mark Furstein's dreaminess uh, for that <laughs> and one. And that's kind but of in, what my thought was in the, the commentary discussion we were having is I think, I think you and I both were sort of blinded by the Mark Furstein of it all. And weren't paying as close attention as we maybe could have been to that aspect and specifically. Okay. Let's wrap this up with some fashion. <laughs> I was just going to say, pull us out of this fashionista and get us onto something a little more fun. Exactly. Okay. So, um, because it's a Stacy episode, we've got more of a focus on Stacy. Um, there are a couple things of hers that have to be called out. And because Claudia is Claudia, there are a couple things of hers that have to be called out. Um, so Stacy, when they're having uh, the meeting, <laughs> when, when Christy decides to teach them all about the art of war, because she's been reading Sun Tzu's book, oh my um, God. So funny. <laughs> Stacy is wearing a leopard denim jacket with a matching leopard denim skirt, and it is a lot of look, and not necessarily sophisticated. Say, <laughs> no. I, like, so many of her other, like, her end outfit with the bedazzled insulin pump and the, mm-hmm. the black shirt with the um, sheer puff sleeves. Divine. Sophisticated. This look looks like a 13-year-old at the mall in 1997. Yeah. It, it's not her best, most sophisticated look. But later in the episode, when the BSA sends around the video of uh, Stacey going into diabetic shock, she's wearing a silver pleated skirt that's like knit i don't like i i I paused it because i was like what is that because it was like the perfect amount of shimmer for going to school while still being sophisticated it i i don't even know how to describe it well i'll have to find a picture and post it in case you guys missed it in the episode because it is pretty quick but it was just like that's what i think of when i think of stacy is like something that's like slightly elevated without being costumey whereas like claudia Mm -hmm. can get towards costumey and like much more like over the top and um, big, whereas Stacy is much more refined, but sometimes with like a slight twist. And I think that that outfit really like was that epitome again. Like the the final outfit with this the the puffy sleeves, it's like it's classic and very sophisticated. But then it has like a little pop of something interesting. And I think that was really the the skirt in that outfit. I was like, yep, that's Stacy. I think the difference. Um for me when it like between the the fashion of Stacy and Claudia is Claudia is more like fashion fashion like runway like wild mm-hmm. less less wearable and Stacy's a little bit more ready to wear yes um 
and and that is sort of the distinction I always sort of carry in my brain. Um, and I am more personally drawn to Claudia's more eclectic, like wild fashion, even though I would never wear 90% of it because I could not pull it off. Um, that tends to be what I, I like more. Um, but Stacy has more, like you mentioned the skirt. I noted that as one I would like, Ooh, I would actually wear that. Um, like she has more pieces like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas Claudia, I like some of her accessories. I feel like I could pull those off and depending on how I style them. Yeah, definitely. And as much as I love Claudia, I, I agree. I, I probably would wear more of what she wears, but when it comes to accessories, like, I usually, like, especially for work, because Claudia's attire is not necessarily something that would translate well to work. Um, her accessories, however, would be. So I'm definitely, on a professional level, much more closely hued to Stacy's wardrobe and Claudia's accessories. Yep. I love that. Yeah. And I guess the one other thing that Stacy wore, when they have the meeting with the rest of the parents, she's wearing a pinstriped blazer, which is clearly, like, yes. her attempt to look you know, professional and mature and show how put together she is. And I just, it wasn't a particularly like interesting or fashiony type outfit, but it really made sense for the scene that she would choose yeah. to wear that to project, you know, the aura of maturity that she wanted all of those parents to get from her, which I loved. I know. I, and I love that it almost seemed a little bit big. Like it didn't quite fit her yeah. as, as nicely as some of the other ones. That it just didn't feel quite like her. Like it very, it was such a beautiful character moment because it very sh clearly showed that she's, you know, you know, trying to look mature, trying to put their best foot forward. Um, and it was just very, very sweet. Yeah. And then I guess Claudia's two things real quick. Um, she's wearing a rainbow tie-dye sweatshirt under overalls, which yeah it's it's a lot of look also not in the same way that Stacy's is a lot of look but like because it's Claudia it just works but I really love that like tie-dye feel I mean obviously tie-dye is very in right now but like it's it's a the way it's sort of like dyed in layers so it's not like a one of those normal like swirl kind of things it's like white on mm -hmm. top and blue on the bottom with like a rainbow in the middle and it's just it was really a fun way to have a lot of color without it being like too much with all the rest of her outfit, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, you're right. I, you said it all when you said that somehow she makes it work. I, like there is something magical, and I don't know if that's – I think it's a combination of the costumers. I think it's a combination of the, the character that was created by Anna mm -hmm. Martin um, and, and absolutely um, played so beautifully by Mamona Tamada. So anyway – um, any other fashion that we need to call out? Um, the only other thing I noted was in the final scene when they, the girls start getting calls at their babysitting club meetings, um, Claudia's wearing a like iridescent maxi skirt that I didn't even notice the first time I watched. I think I just thought it was sort of like a light colored maxi. And the second time I was watching to take notes, I was like, wait a minute. There's a lot of like colorful movement in that skirt. And it was, again, very Claudia. That's something I probably couldn't pull off. I could wear the sweatshirt she was wearing, but that skirt is, it was, it's, you know, it's a maxi skirt that's like rainbowy, changing colors. It was very cool, very Claudia, but even more luck than before. <laughs> I fully agree. Um, but I don't know how she does it. She's just, seriously. 
I know. Don't know how she does it. It's magic. Um, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. Aside from asking people to, you know, like and subscribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC, or email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this emergency meeting of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to-